Good evening, everyone. How's everybody doing? You feeling good? It's so good to be in the house of the Lord. Anytime we're in the house of the Lord, it's a good day. David said, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go to the house of the Lord. And I'm always joyful to be in the house of the Lord wherever in the world we are. You know, a lot of people say, well, I can't worship with certain kinds of people. And I think that's ridiculous. If they're believers in Jesus Christ, I can worship with them. They say, well, I don't like that kind of music. Well, it's not, nobody's singing to you. I remember being in China, in the underground church in China, and ministering there, and man, you can't figure their worship out. You know, I mean, I'm trying to clap with them, and the, the meter's all different, and the melodies are all, couldn't figure it out. You know, it's completely off, but you know what? The Spirit of God was there. And it's the Spirit of God that constitutes the reason for our fellowship, and the basis for our fellowship, and the content of our fellowship is the Spirit of the living God. Now, I love being in any church, but I love being at New Philadelphia Church. Sonny and I are so glad to be here, so thankful to be in this house. And just as Pastor Christian said, we are refreshed when we're in your presence as well. And uh, we're just so thankful, just so thankful. And I'm so thankful to God to see what he's doing here at Itaewon. It's amazing. You guys are growing and develop. Last time I was here, I think you guys were half the size. And so it's, it's awesome. Like this is, this is Itaewon. It's filled all, all the way to the back. So exciting. So exciting. Next Sunday, we're going to be at Pusan at Seaside. We just, we got to see what God is doing. We're just so, so excited for you and, and blessed in the Lord to be a part of what you're doing. Um, I, I begin to talk about the spirit of Antichrist this morning at Hillside. And I want to talk about the spirit of Antichrist here as well. But I want to talk about... Uh, a, a little bit of a different aspect of, of what I talked about at Hillside. So you're going to want to get both messages. And the people from Hillside are going to want to get this one because uh, I'm going to hit on a different, a different element of the spirit of Jezebel. Uh, spirit of Jezebel. <laughs> spirit of Antichrist. Uh, we're going to pray in just a moment, but in the meantime, I want you to turn in your Bibles to the book of 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4. When you get there. Say amen. Amen. While you're turning there, let's pray. Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I pray for an impartation of your Holy Spirit today. And I pray for a good deposit of truth. Lord, I pray that it would be entrusted to the care of each of the sons and daughters of this house. And that you would teach us how to guard it. How to guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Lord, I pray that you teach us to buy the truth and not sell it. God, we tend to sell the truth for all kinds of stuff. Just like Esau sold his birthright for a bowl of porridge. But God, today we declare that we will not sell the truth. That we're going to stand in it. We're going to be obedient to it. We're going to conform to it. And we're going to walk in it. And we're going to be established in it. We're going to be steadfast and unmovable. And we're going to be like trees planted by the rivers of water. Because we're going to meditate on it day and night. Lord, I speak blessing and encouragement today over each and every one in Jesus' name. Amen. First John chapter 4, beginning at verse 1. Dear friends. I don't like this version. That's the NIV. Give me a moment. I'm switching to the New King James Version. I love the iPad. 
I stopped carrying a, 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 a physical Bible. First John chapter four, verse one. <laughs> Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits, whether they are of God. Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. Now, when he talks about testing the spirits, plural, and then he says many false prophets have gone out into the world, it tends to give us the idea that there's many different kinds of spirits out there. Like hundreds, thousands. I remember going to a church where they had this prayer they prayed called the prayer of deliverance. And, and they recorded it. They wrote it out and recorded it, and everybody would play, play it in their house. And they tried to name every kind of demonic spirit in existence. And it was like an hour long. We bind the spirit of this, the spirit of that, the spirit of this, the spirit of that, the spirit of that. And we bind the spirit of this and the spirit of that and the spirit of that. I thought, this is exhausting. But John seems to be intimating that there's many types of spirits out there. But actually, in the next couple of verses, he's going to clarify that there's only two kinds of spirits in the world. He says, by this you know the Spirit of God. That's the one kind of spirit. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. Only two kinds of spirits. The Spirit of God and the Spirit that is not from God. And the way to distinguish them is the spirit that is from God confesses that Jesus Christ came in the flesh. And the spirit that is not from God denies that Jesus Christ came in the flesh. He goes on. And this is the spirit of the Antichrist. Which you have heard was coming and is now already in the world. He says there's two kinds of spirits. The spirit of Christ and the spirit of the Antichrist. There's no in between. There is no spiritual DMZ. There's the spirit of Christ and the spirit that is Antichrist. The spirit that is against Christ. Now when I talk about the spirit of Antichrist, typically people think that I'm preaching an eschatological sermon talking about the end times. People think I'm going to go into the book of Revelation and try to identify this enigmatic figure that, that we have come, have come to know as the, the Antichrist, this end time figure who rises to exert demonic influence over the world and brings deception to the people and, and so on and so forth. And who is the Antichrist and what is the mark of the beast? You know, people talk about the Antichrist and, and everybody has their theory of who he is. Somebody said it's Bill Gates. Somebody said Barack Obama. You know, everybody has their theory of who the Antichrist is. Well, I could care less about him. Because we battle the spirit of Antichrist every day. He says the spirit of Antichrist is already in the world. You deal with him every day. And he works on you in ways that are so subtle. Now, the first thing I want you to know about the spirit of Antichrist is that if you have come to faith in Jesus Christ, you have defeated him. 
You have victory over the spirit of Antichrist. So this is not a how to get victory over the spirit of Antichrist. This is how to walk in the victory that you have already obtained through your faith in Jesus Christ. Because even though every believer in Jesus Christ has been given victory over the Antichrist, many believers walk in bondage to him. Now, the spirit of Antichrist denies that Jesus Christ came in the flesh. Denies the doctrine of what we call the incarnation. He was born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate. He was crucified, dead and buried. On the third day, he arose from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. The doctrine of the incarnation speaks of God becoming man. Speaks of Jesus Christ, the eternal son of God. The eternal word of the father who was with the father in the beginning. Becoming flesh and coming to earth. John says it in John chapter 1. In the beginning was the word. Speaking of Christ. The word was with God. The word was God. And then he says in verse 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory. John is so clear on this. Both in his gospel and his epistles. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory. The glory is of the only begotten son of the father. Full of grace and truth. John says the antichrist spirit denies that he came in the flesh. And this is a very important point. It's important, first of all, for a historical reason. John was battling a group that called, that called themselves the Gnostics. First century group, very strong in the second century. There was a group of these Gnostics called the Docetics. The word doseo in the Greek means to seem. They taught that Jesus Christ actually did not become a man. He only seemed to be human. But he actually was simply a spirit floating around. He was just a spirit floating around. He seemed to be human when people saw him, but nobody touched him because he didn't have physical flesh. Why? Because the Gnostics were basically Christian Platonists. Remember, Plato said that the realm of the material is inherently evil, but the realm of the soul is inherently holy or good. And so Plato talked about abandoning the prison house of the body so that the soul might find freedom in the world of forms. Well, these Christian Platonists basically took Plato and laid him over Paul and saw that Paul talked about the flesh and the spirit. And they said, when Paul talks about the flesh, he's talking about the physical realm and saying it's evil. It's, an in, it's God's enemy. And when he talks about the spirit, he's talking about what Plato calls this world of forms. And so what we need to do is deny the flesh but live in the spirit. The flesh or the physical realm is inherently evil. And so the Gnostics would teach, so why try to reform it? So if my body does a little fornication, that's just my body. My spirit is still holy. I'm still holy in my spirit because my spirit is inherently holy. But my body will do what it does. So if it sleeps around, well, of course, it's wicked. It's physical. It's material. So there's this Gnostic background that John is refuting and saying, this is the worst kind of deception you could ever be deceived by. 
So these Gnostics said Jesus couldn't have had a physical body because then he would have taken on the evil of the material realm. So he had to be just a spirit floating around. But remember, Jesus, after the resurrection, the disciples thought that they saw a spirit when they saw him. But he said, look, touch me, touch my hand, touch my hand. Does a spirit have, yes, you can touch, yeah. He said, does a spirit have flesh and bone like you see I have? Here, give me some fish. And he ate it. Can a spirit eat fish? Even in the resurrection, Jesus retains his physical body. That means that right now, try this on for size. Right now, at the right hand of God in heaven is a human being with a physical human body. Fully God and fully man. We know he's fully God. What we don't realize is the ramifications of the fact that he's fully man. A physical body is seated on a throne next to God. First, he manifested God on earth, and then he ascended into heaven and manifested man in heaven. Now, before we go further, I need you to understand something that's very important. Satan is not concerned about your theology. Can I just lay that out there? Satan, the spirit of Antichrist, does not simply refute the theological proposition that Jesus was born of a virgin. He's not after that proposition. He's after the ramifications and effects of it. Because if he did not manifest in the flesh, that is, if he, he was not born of a virgin, if he did not come in the flesh, then he did not die for your sins. And if he did not die for your sins, then you're still in your sins. If he did not come in the flesh, then he was not wounded for your transgressions. He was not bruised for your iniquities. The chastisement of your peace was not upon him. And by his wounds, you are not healed. That, and, and John said, for this reason, the son of God was made manifest that he might destroy the works of the devil. If he was not manifest, then the devil's works are still valid. If he was not manifest, then you're still in bondage to sin. If he was not made manifest, then you are, you are on your own, buddy. None of the effects of his manifestation are good on your behalf unless he came in the flesh. But John starts his epistle with this very important proposition. That which was from the beginning, which we have seen, which we have heard, and our hands have handled concerning the word of the life. The life manifested, and we saw it, we heard it, we touched it. That is what we declare to you, what we've seen and heard. He said, I'm not just talking to you about some God who lives in heaven. I'm talking to you about the God that I walked with who manifested himself in the earth. This is key because the devil does not care what you believe about God in heaven. But as soon as you start manifesting it in the earth, now you're stepping into his territory. He's not attacking Jesus. He's attacking the manifestation of Jesus in the physical realm. He wants to keep it out of the physical realm. You can sing all you want about how great and high and mighty God is and the devil doesn't care. But the minute you start believing that that greatness and highness and mightiness applies to your life, that it has the power to break the power of the devil off of your life, that it has the power to set you free, that it has the power to heal you and deliver you. Now the devil's got a problem with you. He's attacking the manifestation of Jesus. Not only so, but it goes deeper than that. Galatians chapter 3, verse 14. 
says that he redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus. Meaning that Jesus was manifested in the flesh to bring to fruition and apply to your account everything that was promised to Abraham. Meaning that when you read about the promises God made to Abraham and the covenant God made with Abraham, that was to you through Christ Jesus. What the, what the spirit of Antichrist is actually doing is trying to separate you from the Abrahamic covenant that is rightfully yours. He wants to bring you into agreement with things that are not in the covenant. And what we see is I've been meditating on the life of Abraham. What we see is that Abraham had a powerful covenant from God. But God told him very clearly, this is to you and to your descendants after you. He said, I'm not just making covenant with you, but it's to your descendants. And the promise was descendants. The promise was inherently generational. It had to manifest in the physical realm because he didn't have any sons to pass it down to. And God took him outside in Genesis 15. said, look up at the stars. He said, yeah, they're, they're pretty, God. They're nice. Good job. He says, you like them? Yeah, good. Count them. What? what? Count them. Count all of them? Yeah, count all of them. Well, that's going to take a long time. I'll, I'll lose count. There's too many. That's how your children are going to be. If anyone can number the stars, they can number Abraham's children. This is the covenant I'm making with you, Abraham. In blessing, I'll bless you. In multiplying, I'll multiply you. I'll make your descendants like the sands of the sea, like the stars of the sky. I'll bless those who bless you. I'll curse those who curse you. This is the covenant promise I'm making with you, Abraham. And it's not just to you. It's to all your descendants. Meaning that through Christ Jesus, it's to you. Now watch this. God fulfills the covenant with Abraham. Isaac is born. On the eighth day, Abraham circumcises him. Throws a big feast. Everybody rejoices. Sarah laughs. That's what, what Isaac means, laughter. Sarah laughs and says, who would have said that Sarah would have nursed a child in her old age? And everybody's rejoicing. Isaac grows up a little bit. God tests Abraham. Take your son, your only son whom you love, to the place I'll show you. Offer him to me as a burnt sacrifice. Abraham obeys. God renews the blessing and increases it over his life. Now I know that you'll obey me in all I command you. Isaac starts to get older. He's marrying age. Abraham is well advanced in years now. And Abraham begins to fear that his son is going to choose the wrong woman. Single people, listen. <laughs> so he calls the chief servant of his house. And he says, put your hand under my thigh. It was some type of ancient Near Eastern way of making a promise. I prefer a, hands a handshake. <laughs> There's all kind of speculation of what the put your hand under my thigh actually entailed. And there's some theories that it entailed touching more than a thigh. But let's just say, he said, make me a promise. 
He said, I want you to promise, swear to me that you will not take a wife for my son among the Canaanite women, but that you'll go back to my family and that you'll bring a wife for my son from my own household, from my own family. And he swore. And then Abraham sent him with camels, 10 camels loaded down with gold and silver and clothing and all kinds of expensive gifts and, and male servants and men servants and sent him off. And when he got there and he came to the family's house, he met the right woman, Rebecca for Isaac. And he put a gold nose ring in her nose and put gold earrings in her ears and put a gold bracelet on her arm and went to the house and delivered the camels and, and put expensive gifts in the hands of her brothers and her father and mother and sisters and, and blessed the family and brought her back to Isaac. Isaac is out meditating in a field. When you're in your thirties and you ain't got a wife, you got some extra time on your hands. So I've been married 12 years and I don't remember one time I had time to meditate in a field. <laughs> Especially when those kids start coming. <laughs> so I love it when people say, you're on vacation, you get to sleep in. I said, no, I got a kid. <laughs> we wake up when she wakes up. And she don't go on no vacation. She's always a kid. Isaac's meditating in a field, not knowing that behind the scenes... His father went through this whole thing for him, set up this whole, had no idea. And he looks in the distance and sees a caravan. And I could, I can guess what he was meditating about in that field. Lord, when am I going to get a wife? <laughs> yeah, I was looking at you, Pastor Marcus. <laughs> you look out and see Pastor Marcus in an open field. <laughs> hmm. See, I shouldn't have said that because the single women in the house are now going, Lord, please me. Please send Eliezer to me. No. <laughs> the father did it. The father set it up for him. Keep that in mind. And all of y'all keep that in mind. He sees a caravan coming. He stands up, starts approaching this caravan. He sees Eliezer, the chief servant of the house, come get off the camel. And, uh, just then, at the same time, Rebecca's on a camel back there. She taps the chief servant. Who's that man in the field? She said, he said, that, that's your husband. Oh, snap. She puts a veil over her head. And the servant runs up to Isaac and he goes, who's that girl back there? He goes, that's your wife. He goes, oh, snap. And he walks up. He looks at her. Introduces himself. Hi, I'm Isaac. She goes, I'm Rebecca. And he goes, we married now. Come on, girl. <laughs> that was their wedding. That was it. No preacher, nothing. Says he immediately took her into the tent of his mother and she became his wife. <laughs> no dating. <laughs> no praying for three months. No checking your bank account. <laughs> Isaac didn't have to worry about saving his father saved it for him he didn't have to worry about finding a wife his father found her for him Isaac received by inheritance he didn't pay a price for it 
This is the second generation of the covenant. God makes covenant with Abraham and Isaac steps right into the fullness of it. Isaac was born a wealthy man. He received the benefits of the covenant. Everything his father had belonged to him. He was a man of the covenant and he knew it. He didn't have to go through the stuff Abraham went through. You don't find Isaac having to sacrifice sons on a mountain. You don't find Isaac having to make fresh covenants with God and cut animals in half and lay out the pieces and beat off the buzzards. Isaac never made a covenant with God. He inherited the one he got from Abraham. The thing you need to understand about inheritance is that inheritance means that you receive something free of charge that was costly in the last generation. Remember, I was praying day and night after going to see my spiritual father. I would always go back and pray, Lord, please give me what I see in his life. And I would name the stuff I saw in him. That intense holiness and purity. That depth and profundity, that insight and revelation. That ability, that capacity for the presence of the Lord. All these things. And I would cry out, God, give those to me. And one day the Lord interrupted me in the middle of my prayer and said, stop praying for that stuff. And I thought he meant, you can't have it. You'll never be like him. Because that's typically what we do when we see a great man or woman of God. We think in our hearts, I could never be like him. I could never be like her. God said, when I gave him to you as your spiritual father, I gave you everything he has. By virtue of inheritance, just begin to thank me for it because it's already in you. All you have to do is grow up into it. Isaac learned the power of the covenant that God had with his daddy. He learned it because he simply stepped into the benefit. Now, fast forward. Isaac, Rebecca, get busy. They have kids. Jacob and Esau. And while Rebecca was pregnant, she was having a tough pregnancy. Them, them two kids were having a battle royal up in there wrestling, fighting. She said, Lord, what is going on? And God spoke to her and said, two nations are in your room, your womb, and the older will serve the younger. The first one comes out. He's red. They name him Esau. Esau means red. He comes out. He's red and hairy all over. Big red, hairy. (laughs) Next one. First thing that comes out of the second kid is his hand. And he grabs his brother's foot. This ain't over. I'm not done with you yet. Get back here. He still wanted to fight. And so they named him Jacob, which means heel grabber. Come here, foot grabber. Red. Foot grabber, get in here. Man, they could have been a little more creative with names in the Bible. Just come up with, hey, grab the foot. Let's name him one who grabs the foot. (laughs) You know the story. Isaac steals the blessing, steals the birthright. And then comes to his father. Rebecca goes to Isaac in his old age and says, I don't want my son to marry one of these Canaanite women. 
let's send him back to my household to my brother Laban so he can marry one of his daughters. Same thing that Abraham desired for his son Isaac. And Isaac said, that's a great idea. Come here, son, Jacob. Jacob comes in. Says, son, I don't want you to marry one of these Canaanite women. I want you to go to the household of your mother's father and marry one of his daughters. Go in peace and may the Lord bless you. Bye-bye. And he sent him with nothing. When it came time for Isaac to get his wife, he didn't even have to go himself. His father sent a servant with donk, with camels, laden, laden, laden with gold and silver and precious gifts. But now Isaac doesn't know how to pay it forward to his sons and daughters. He doesn't know how to bring his sons into the covenant that he has benefited from. He says, go in peace, son. Good luck to you. Be warmed and filled. And Jacob finds himself in the desert with no provision, putting his head on a rock. Going to sleep. And God comes to him in a dream. When God saw that Isaac didn't know how to bring him into the covenant, God just decided, I'm going to bring him into the covenant myself. I, I promised his father Abraham that I wouldn't let him out of the covenant. He says, He sees a ladder touching down on the earth and extending to the heavens. And God is at the top of the ladder. And he says, I'm the God of your father, Abraham, and of Isaac. Notice he called Abraham Jacob's father, not Isaac. He says, I know you don't see any covenant relationship between me and your father, Isaac, but he's in it. But I'm taking you all the way back to the promise of Abraham because it doesn't matter how many generations are in between. All of us are sons of Abraham through faith. He said, I'm the God of your father, Abraham and of Isaac. And I will give to you and your descendants the land that you're laying on as far north, south, east and west as you can see. And I won't leave you till I bring to pass what I've promised you. And Jacob wakes up. He says, how awesome is this place? Surely God was in this place, but I wasn't aware of it. He said, man, I did not know how awesome this place is. You know, that's how most believers live. If God could wake you up and open your eyes and show you how awesome the place you're standing in is. He said, this is none other than the house of God. I thought this was a dry, dirty, barren desert, but this is none other than the house of God. And this is the gate of heaven. And then he set up a stone there and anointed it with oil. He said, I'm just doing the best I can. And then immediately he started negotiating with God. And this is what I've been trying to get through to get to through this whole message. He says, Lord, I want to strike up a deal with you. He said, if you'll go with me and give me food to eat and a place to live, roof over my head, food to eat. If you'll go with me. Give me food to eat. That's all I ask. Food to eat and a roof over my head. Then you'll be my God. And I'll give you a tithe. I'll give you 10% of everything I earn. And this place will be called Bethel, the house of God. Are you serious, Jacob? God just promised to give you everything. And what are you praying for? Just give me food to eat and a roof over my head. 
God just promised to make your descendants like the sand of the sea, like the stars of the sky. And you're praying for food to eat and a roof. You know, it jacks me up to hear some of the prayers Christians are praying. (laughs) Jackson Sinyanga said, I can't stand it when Christians pray for parking lot favor. Lord, give me a parking space. (laughs) Now, don't get me wrong. I think it's good to pray for everything. But don't pray for parking spaces when you're not believing for greater blessings. Pray for both. He should have been saying, God, I have just stepped into the covenant and I'm not going to live beneath it. And there's nothing in the covenant about just having food to eat and a roof over my head. The covenant says in blessing, you'll bless me in multiplying, you'll multiply me. Christians pray, pray prayers like, oh, God, just give me a job, any job. I just need a job. As long as it can pay my monthly bills and I have a little bit extra to get a Starbucks. Then I'll give you a tithe. Oh, God. Just give me a wife, any wife. She don't have to be pretty. (laughs) Please, Lord, give me a husband. As long as he loves me a little bit, I'll be happy. He can even be younger than me. That wasn't the prayer my wife prayed, by the way. I am younger than her, but that was not her. She was like, nah. <laughs> Whatever. When I first said, nah, nah, nah. <laughs> uh-uh, cut it. Cut, uh-uh. Ain't going to happen. <laughs> the Lord had to visit her in a dream. <laughs> then he gets to Haran. And he gets connected with his uncle Laban's household. Laban, his mother's brother, his mother, Rebecca, had a brother named Laban. And he meets first his daughter, Rachel, who was fine as all get out. The Bible said she was beautiful in form. That's King James Version for she was fine. But it said her sister Leah had weak eyes. Look at this juxtaposition. Look at this comparison. Rachel was beautiful in form, but her sister Leah had weak eyes. Now, the King James Version was nice to her and said she was tender-eyed. My mama would have said she was cock-eyed. You know, you didn't know which eye to look at when you, you're looking at him or me. (laughs) He gets, he gets to Laban's house. He gets to Laban's house and he hangs out there for a month and Laban kisses him and says, you're my own flesh and blood. Thing that you need to know about Laban is that the word Laban means white. And it bears the connotation of purity. When you're dealing with Laban, it seems right. It seems so pure. Laban said, you're my own flesh and blood. And then Laban said, just because you're my relative, why should you work for me for free? 
Well, wait a second. Who said I'm working for you? That's what Jacob should have said. So wait, when did I say I'm working for you? You hear, you hear the way he goes about that? Why should you work for me for free? Well, wait, what? You, it sounds like I'm doing you a favor. <laughs> it's like I walk to him and say, you know what? Why should you wash my car for free? Here's the keys. <laughs> Name your price, $10? It's like, sounds really nice, but you walk away going, wait a minute. Wait a second. He duped me. Name your wages. Wages? I'm living in covenant. Why am I negotiating wages? Wages is the opposite of covenant. Jacob, not understanding the parameters of his covenant, says, your daughter Rachel very beautiful. Tell you what, I'll work seven years if you'll give her to me as my wife. And Laban says, that's great. Let me just give you a little negotiating tool. When you're applying for a job and they ask you how much you want to make, if they immediately accept the number you give them, it was too low. You just duped yourself. They say, how much you want to make? Just give me uh, $10 an hour. Okay, great. Yeah, you're hired. Can you start today? You just tricked yours. If they should say, no, no way. Too much. Laban goes, that's great. Yes, that sounds fair to me. Yeah, that's fair. Work for seven years. Isn't it funny that Jacob had to work seven years for that which his father received for free? His dad got it by inheritance, but Jacob says, I think I'm going to work for it. And God wasn't in it because Jacob negotiated his own contract. Seven years is, in, uh, is up. And the language is very frank. Jacob goes to Laban and says, my time's up. Give me my wife. I want to sleep with her. He was just straight. He was just real. Look, dude, it's been seven years. No more nice talk, okay? No more of this beating around the bush, okay? It's time. It's time. It's been seven years. And so Laban calls a feast. Throws a big party. Invites all the neighbors. Gets Jacob drunk. Has the wedding ceremony and sends him off to the tent. And the next morning, Jacob wakes up smiling and looks over and says, My, oh, What the? Because weak eyed Leah is laying in bed next to him. He says, What? Oh, the devil is a liar. He goes to Laban and says, what is, this, what is this you've done to me? And he says, it's not our custom for the younger daughter to get married first. You could have told me that seven years ago. I'll tell you what. Check this out. Just finish the bridal week. Finish this seven-day party. And then you can marry Rachel too for another seven years of labor. And Jacob goes... Sounds good to me. 
Do you know what? When you make the suggestion to the devil, the devil will extend it for as long as he can. After 14 years, he's got nothing but two wives and a bunch of kids. However, because he walks under covenant, everything he does prospers. And so all he's done is make Laban rich. He's caring for Laban's flocks and Laban is getting rich. But Jacob has nothing because he has sold the blessing of his covenant. He has surrendered it to Laban instead of believing that God would bless him. And suddenly Jacob wakes up and realizes, I've got nothing to give my kids. So he goes to Laban and says, Laban, send me away. It's time to go. I got to go make a living to support my family. I've got to go provide for my children. You know, Jacob woke up and realized living by wages is locking my kids out of the covenant. My kids are locked out of the covenant promises that God wants to bring because I'm living according to wages and you keep changing my wages. All of my wages are enough to do is to keep me broke. And Laban says, no, 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 no. Don't go. What would I do? How intriguing is that? Sounds so pure. You're my own flesh and blood. And it's been revealed to me by divination that I've been blessed because of you. Sounds so nice. My spiritual father was teaching on this and his wife works for a company in the United States and she's a sales executive and, and she has a region and nobody's supposed to deal with contracts in that region. And several times people have worked on contracts in her region and then called her just before closing and said, oh, you know, so sorry. We didn't realize that this contract is under your region, uh, but I've already worked on it six months. Do you think we could close it together and share and share the, the uh, commission? And she, every time she's, oh, sure. Oh, fine. The Lord released this Laban revelation. And, and my pastor said, tell him no this time. She said, no. The boundaries are very clear. You knew from the beginning that this was under my. You see, we think it's so godly to let people walk all over us and take everything from us. She said, no. She said, oh, it's so unfortunate that you would act that way. Oh, wow. Now I'm the bad guy. When Jacob woke up and realized that he was living outside of the covenant, he went back to the Lord and the Lord gave him a dream. And you know what he saw in the dream? God told him in the dream, tell Laban this. From now on, here's my pay. Speckled, spotted, and gray sheep belong to me. The white ones belong to you. Which doesn't make any sense because almost all of the sheep are white. There might be one or two or three speckled and spotted. So Jacob went to Laban. And said, send me away. Laban said, no, please stay. He said, okay, I'll stay under one condition. He said, what's that? Name your wages. He said, no, no more wages. This is what I want. Speckled, spotted, and brown sheep belong to me. The white ones belong to you. Laban said, wonderful. Sounds great. But he didn't know that now he was negotiating with God. Listen, when you wake up and let God begin to negotiate on your behalf. When you wake up, listen, when Jacob went to the Lord, God gave him a dream and suddenly he began to see clearly by the spirit what God was doing. Laban thought he had one up on Jacob, but now Jacob is no longer negotiating for himself. Now Laban is negotiating with God. All of these sheep give birth and Jacob walks among the flocks and all of them are speckled and spotted and gray. And the only ones that are white are the weak and sickly ones. 
So Jacob separate, he put miles between his flocks and Laban's little flock over here. And pretty soon Laban comes out and sees five little miserable, sickly old white sheep with, you know, one leg up in the air, you know, little cockeyed sheep, you know. <laughs> so what in the world is this? This is your flock. And then he goes over here and all these strong, speckled, brown and gray sheep. Bah! What's this? It's Jacob's flock. That's right. Get it right, homeboy. I walk under covenant. What am I saying to you? I'm running out of time here. You've got to renounce your agreement with that which is outside of the covenant. Jacob's problem through this whole situation was that he kept agreeing with things that were outside of the covenant. There's nothing in the covenant about working 14 years and having nothing to show for it. And believers in Jesus Christ do it all the time. Working and working and working. And we talk so much about sowing, but believers need to learn how to reap. Because there's believers who have been sowing and sowing and sowing and sowing and have nothing to show for it and believing one day God is going to bless me. Let me tell you something. That one day stuff, I almost said a word, that one day garbage, that one day foolishness is the spirit of Antichrist that's trying to keep it from manifesting in the physical realm. Let me tell you something. The blessing of God is on you today. You see, I've agreed with that which is outside of the covenant. I've agreed with it, but now I'm renouncing my agreement. I'm renouncing my agreement. I'm I'm telling you this this evening that you need to get a prophetic testimony on your lips. You need to get a prophetic testimony where you begin to recognize that every obstacle that you encounter is simply there for you to overcome it. And that there's not one obstacle in your path that's there to stop you. Nothing can stop you. I'm telling you, I'm speaking the blessing of Isaiah 57, 14 over you tonight. It says, build up, build up, prepare the way, remove the obstacles out of the way of my people. But I'm telling you that the obstacles will only move when you wake up and recognize that if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, be thou lifted up and cast into the sea and it will obey you. But there's too many of us that are trying to climb mountains that we're supposed to be casting into the sea. Jacob climbed one of those mountains for 14 years and had nothing to show for it. But in the last six years, he became a wealthy man. Why? Because he stepped into the covenant. And and this isn't even about money. The point is, Look at your life and ask yourself, is this in the covenant? If not, why am I in agreement with it? My wife was talking about how she had this allergy to the system of allergies, really. She couldn't eat anything with skin, like fruit, like apples, plums, nectarines, peaches, carrots. She couldn't eat any of it. And if she took one bite... She'd have these big monsters growing on her lips. <laughs> Tentacles. She said, come here, baby, give me a kiss. I say, oh, Lord. on the cheek. <laughs> and then her throat would start closing up. She'd be, <laughs> you know, and I'd be eating big, big, you know, nectarines right in front of her. This is a nectarine nectar just coming down my, she said, baby, is it good? Oh, this is delicious. Let me have a bite. No, 
don't do it. And she'd grab it and take a little bite. And all of a sudden her lips would just start, you know, I told you not to do it. One day she woke up and realized, wait a minute, I've lived with this for years. And I've assumed that it's just a part of life. Why have I come into agreement with this thing? She grabbed a couple of young men in the house and said, I don't have faith for this. Do you have faith for it? They said, sure. She said, I need you to have faith for me. I want to eat apples and nectarines and all of this good fruit that were on other trees in the garden. They said, we believe. So she took an apple. Said, you sure you believe? They said, yeah, we believe. She said the whole time she was chewing, she was just waiting. She didn't even believe it, but they believed. And she had made a decision that she was going to step out in faith. All she needed was a couple of believers to believe with her and to believe for her. You know what happened? Absolutely nothing. She ate bags of apples. She walks in the living room. I'm standing there. Saw a baby. Watch this. And she's holding a big apple. I'm like diving down the stairs. No! And she's... Ah! I'm like... She ate that whole apple right in my face. Nothing. Nothing. You know why? She, she woke up one day and said, why am I in agreement with this? Why am I in agreement? The thing you need to understand is that God will never circumvent your mind to manipulate your emotions. You feel what you think. You feel what you think. I'm, I'm just going to give you this and then I'm going to close it. Because I'm already over my time. First Peter chapter one, verse two, count it pure joy. No, James chapter one, verse two, count it pure joy, brothers. When you encounter various trials, count it, look at your neighbor, say count it, count it. The NIV says, consider it pure joy. Stop praying for joy and count it joy. Stop. Stop praying for joy when you're believing that it's pain. Because if you're believing it's pain, but asking the Lord for joy, you're saying, God, would you please circumvent my mind and make my heart joyful about that which I believe is painful. And if God were to do it, he would disrupt the integrity of your being. He would split you in half and make you a thinking person who thinks one thing and a feeling person who feels something else. And God will not cut you in half to fulfill your prayer. Count it pure joy. Count it pure joy. That is, you've got to bring your mind into alignment with the promises of God. God said to Abraham, I will bless you and make your descendants like the sands of the sea. And Abraham said, okay. And God said, you're righteous. Abraham believed God and God credited it to him as righteousness. What did he believe? He believed the covenant. And you've got to come into agreement with the covenant before it will begin to manifest in the physical realm. And God is not simply about a bunch of believers who believe in a bunch of promises that reside in the heavens. He wants to manifest it in the physical realm. That's why Jesus told us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God is not satisfied until the riches of the heavens manifest in the earth, but he only does it through the faith of the believers who make a decision not to receive or accept, embrace, or agree with anything that is outside of the covenant. And I'm speaking over your lives tonight that you're going to learn how to walk in covenant with God. And you're going to learn how to embrace the promises that God has made to you. 
and to be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Let's pray. Father, I speak your blessing over this house tonight in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray for understanding of the things that were spoken tonight. I pray that you would grant clarity. I pray for breakthrough in our thinking, in our minds. Because, Lord, some of us tonight are in bondage, but not to the devil. We're in bondage to his suggestions. Because actually, as believers in Jesus Christ, the devil cannot bind us anymore. All he can do is suggest to us that we're still bound. And if we come into agreement with that suggestion, we're in bondage, but only to that suggestion. But that's enough. It's enough to cause us to live in the experience of bondage. What we don't realize is that the moment we begin to agree with the suggestions of the enemy, at that very moment we begin to disagree with the covenant promises of God. But tonight, in the name of the Lord Jesus, we renounce our agreement. We renounce our agreement with the suggestions of the devil. Some of you here tonight, the devil has suggested to you that you're worthless. And you've agreed with that suggestion. Right now, you're going to renounce that agreement right now. Come on, just begin to renounce it. Some of you tonight, the devil has suggested to you that you're a failure. And you've agreed with that suggestion. But tonight, you're going to renounce that agreement. Come on, begin to renounce it right now. Some of you tonight, the devil has suggested to you that you're going to be bound by some sin for the rest of your life and you'll never get free from it and you agreed with that suggestion right now you're going to renounce your agreement with that suggestion come on begin to renounce that some of you here tonight the devil suggested that you're rejected everywhere you go and everywhere you go you will be rejected renounce your agreement with that suggestion renounce it right now in the name of Jesus make a decision I will not come into agreement with that which is outside of the covenant I don't see anything in the covenant about me being rejected I don't see anything in the covenant about me being a failure he said he'll bless me in blessing he'll multiply me in multiplying he said he'll make my descendants like the sands of the sea come on you have received the blessing of Abraham through faith in Christ Jesus Begin to speak in agreement with the covenant right now. Begin to speak in agreement with the covenant right now. By his wounds you are healed. That's the covenant. That's the covenant. By his wounds you are healed. Let the weak say I am strong. That's the covenant. It's not a covenant of weakness. It's a covenant of power. It's not a covenant of defeat. It's a covenant of victory. It's not a covenant of anxiety and fear. It's a covenant of peace. The kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. That's the covenant that you walk in. It's an everlasting covenant. He's the God who cannot lie. The thief has come to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But Jesus said, I have come that you might have life. And that you might have it more abundantly. When he said, I've come that you might have it more abundantly. The word there in the Greek actually means excessively. Inappropriately. That you might have a greater portion of it than you're supposed to have. Lavishly. That you might have a surplus of supernatural life. 
The word is even close to the word debauchery, which means excessive indulgence. Jesus says, I want you to excessively indulge in, in my supernatural life. That you might have it lavishly. High quantities of it. Unending. Everlasting supply of supernatural life. That is the covenant. That is the covenant. Anything beneath that, you must renounce your agreement with it tonight. In Jesus' name. Sometimes God causes you to wake up and look at a particular area of your life and say, wait a minute, this isn't right. Wait a minute, I'm not supposed to experience, I'm not supposed to live this way. Hold on a second. Devil, you've tricked me into living this way for all of these years, but it ends tonight. It ends tonight. I'm not going to... I'm not going to stand for this for another moment. Come on, make. I'm waiting for something to rise up on the inside of you. Like Jacob, when he woke up and said, hold on a second. It's been 14 years and I've got nothing. 14 years and I've labored and everything's been taken from me. I'm not doing this anymore. And that's when God gave him a dream. That's when God began to negotiate on his behalf. Come on, wake up tonight. Break free of the yoke that's around your shoulders. Awake, awake. Clothe yourself with strength. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Come on, there's freedom. There's freedom. There's freedom. But you got to take it. You got to take it. The kingdom suffers violence, but the violent take it by force. This is not right. You're waking up and realizing the way I've been living is not right. You let the spirit of Laban trick you for years. But now you're taking dominion over that antichrist spirit. You've been believing it's one day. I say today is the day of salvation. Your blessing is in the atmosphere tonight. Reach out and take it. Make a decision. This isn't right. I don't agree with this. I don't agree with what the enemy's stolen from me. I'm telling you, you're sons of Abraham and not sons of Lot. You're not sons of Job. Everything was taken from Job and he said, the Lord gives and the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. But when Abraham heard that his nephew Lot was carried away with all his possessions, he armed the 318 men born in his household. He pursued them, overtake the enemy, and he returned and recovered everything. Abraham said, I'm sorry, but, but I only increase decreases not in my covenant this isn't right i cannot be diminished decreases not in your covenant come on come on come on stand up on your feet and open up your mouth and lift up your hands and get a hold of it right now open up your mouth get a hold of it come into agreement with the covenant right now come into agreement with the covenant Come on, take it to another level. Come on, pray. Pray, pray. Yes, Lord. Come on now. You're waiting for it to be given to you, but it's already been given to you. It's already yours. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Listen to me for a second. Some of you here tonight, you've been feeling in your hearts, some of you distinctly have been feeling in your hearts that you need deliverance for stuff. 
I need deliverance for this and I need deliverance for that and I've been in bondage for this and I've been in bondage to that. Let me tell you something. What you need deliverance from is the thought that you're in bondage. What you need deliverance from is the idea in your mind that it's possible for the devil to step over the blood of Jesus Christ and bind you. It's a suggestion of the devil that you agreed with. And that suggestion gave the enemy a right to bring you into bondage. Let me tell you something. Tonight, what you need to do is renounce your agreement with every suggestion of the enemy and make a decision that you're going to believe that the blood of Christ has spoken. You're going to believe that the blood of Christ speaks better things than the blood of Abel. You're going to begin to believe tonight that you have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ. That it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you by your forefathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without spot or blemish. What I want to do right now, is it okay if I open up the altars? I'm opening up the altars for folks that you need that shift to happen in your mind. You might have come in here tonight believing you were in bondage. You're going to walk out tonight saying, I am free. And I'm asking you to come to the altar not because I'm going to give you freedom. Jesus gives you freedom. I'm asking you to come to the altar as a prophetic declaration. I want you to believe that every step towards this altar, you're stepping on the head of the devil and you're taking what's on on your back and putting it where it belongs, under your feet. I was crying out to the Lord a couple weeks ago. I said, God, I'm so overwhelmed. And God said, why are you overwhelmed by that which is under your feet? The only thing that can overwhelm you is what's over your head. How did the devil get from under your feet to be over your head? Put him back where he belongs. Under your feet. Take dominion. You say, I'm ready to walk into that place of victory tonight. I want you to come stand. And you, and I'm, I mean, you specifically have something in your life that you're struggling to get freedom from. But tonight you're making a decision to believe. I'm not, listen, there's such a passivity amongst believers when it comes to freedom. Somebody lay hands on me and free me. Somebody speak a word over me and free me. Somebody have authority in my life. Listen, let me tell you who has authority. Jesus Christ of Nazareth has authority. And he lives in you if you're a believer in him. And no devil in hell can step on his territory. When you begin to believe that, and tonight I'm believing that your mind is going to come into that place. I'm going to release an anointing over your mind tonight to believe. To come back into agreement with God. To come back into agreement Where you've disagreed with the covenant and said, God, nice try. I see your heart. You tried to give me freedom, but didn't quite work. You're going to stop critiquing the covenant and you're going to begin to believe it. That's tonight. You ready? Come to the altar right now. Walk right over the head of the enemy. Come to the altar right now. It's freedom time. Hallelujah. Everybody else go to war. Come on, go to war. Go to war. The weapons of our warfare are not of this world, but they are mighty in God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, taking into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Hallelujah. And lift your hands to the Lord and come into agreement with the covenant. Open your mouth. Come on, take it to another level. I want to hear the sound of war in this house.
You are mighty in God. Ain't no punks up in here. We are believers in Jesus Christ. We are sons of the Most High God. For this reason the Son of God was made manifest. That he might destroy the works of the devil. Come on, open up your mouth. Take it. There's freedom in the atmosphere. Take it right now. Take it right now. There's freedom in the atmosphere. Come on, another level, another level. Don't lose the intensity. Don't lose the intensity. It's in your mind. You got it. Free right now in Jesus' name. Free right now in Jesus' name. Take freedom right now in Jesus' name. I speak an anointing to your mind. In the name of Jesus. Come on, don't stop, don't stop, don't stop, don't stop, don't stop. You got it. God, let the fire of God overtake every mind. In Jesus' name. The fire of God. The fire of God. The fire of God. The fire of God. Let the fire of God fall right now. Come on, take it. The fire of God. The fire of God. It's burning away every demonic suggestion. It's burning away every demonic suggestion. It's burning away every demonic suggestion. Every place where the devil has spoken defeat. You are more than conquerors. You are more than conquerors. You are more than conquerors. Take it right now. Freedom in the name of Jesus. Freedom in the name of Jesus. Freedom to your mind. Freedom to your mind. Freedom to your heart. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Yes, Lord. Yes. Come on. Come on. Come on, don't stop. Come on, don't stop. It's building, it's building, it's building, it's building. It's building, it's building, it's building. Fire of God. Shatararamakora. Shatararamakora. In the name of Jesus. Freedom right now in Jesus' name. In the name of Jesus. No devil in hell can bind you. No devil in hell can bind you. The devil cannot touch you. Some of you here have been sensing demons in your house. You make a decision that no devil can come in your house. Stop it. Stop that foolishness. Seeing ghosts and stuff. Casper. That's childish. The devil's in my house. Jesus is in your house. The devil can't get in your house. Even Jesus said he only comes in if you open the door. You think the devil can knock down the door? Jesus is in your house. The devil can't get in your house unless you let him in. You make a decision right now. I'm closing the door. I'm closing the door. I'm closing the door. You're not getting up in here. I will not allow this again. Come on. Go gangster right now. Go gangster right now. Go gangster. 
I will not allow this again. You're not getting in my house. You're not getting in my mind. You're not getting in my heart. Only Jesus. Only Jesus. The name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee would bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And you are a chosen generation. You are a holy nation. You are a royal priesthood. You are a people belonging to God. Hallelujah. It's manifesting in the physical realm. It's manifesting in the physical realm. I'm not talking about a victory that's only in heaven. It's in the earth. It's in the earth. It's Christ in you, the hope of glory. It's Christ in you, the hope of glory. It's manifesting. It's manifesting even in your physical body. Even in your physical body is manifesting right now. That's the victory that you carry. Hallelujah. Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Your body, your physical body, your physical flesh and bones, it is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received. You have been bought with a price. You are not your own. You're going to glorify God with your body. And the devil, the evil one, touches you not. He who is born of God overcomes the world, and the evil one touches him not. He who is born of God overcomes the world, and the evil one touches him not. He who is born of God overcomes the world, and the evil one touches him not. Come on, begin to say it. The evil one touches me not. The evil one touches me not. The evil one touches me not. I have overcome the world. I have overcome the world. Greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world. Christ is in me. And he is the hope of glory. I'm going to say this one last thing and then I'm going to pass the mic, I promise. talking about the spirit of Christ and the spirit of Antichrist Paul said I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me the spirit of Christ always comes to strengthen you but the spirit of Antichrist always comes to weaken you and many things have come into your life to weaken you that you thought came from Christ let me tell you something if it weakens you it ain't from Christ it strengthens you. You're renouncing right now your agreement with the spirit of Antichrist. You've been saying, oh, I'm so weak. Get that agreement out of your mind and heart and put a prophetic testimony on your lips. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. His mighty power works mightily in me. Say, but I feel so weak. Yes, but when I'm weak, then I'm strong. Say, I feel so strong. Good. When I'm strong, then I'm strong. I'm never weak. Weakness is simply an opportunity for God's strength to overshadow it. 
you got to understand something. Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. He didn't mean that being poor in spirit is a blessed perpetual state. The only thing blessed about the poor in spirit is that God is actively giving them the kingdom of God. He said, blessed are those that mourn. Why? For they shall be comforted. Mourning is not a blessed state perpetually. The only thing blessed about it is that God's about to bring you comfort. Blessed are those that hunger and thirst after righteousness. Why? For they shall be filled. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall inherit the earth. Let me tell you something. Everything that is of weakness in your life, God is in the business of reversing that mess. Flipping the script on that mess. Bringing strength out of weakness. Bringing riches out of poverty. you got to come into agreement with God. You got to come into agreement with God and with the covenant that he made with you and your father, Abraham. He says, I'm the God of your father, Abraham. You're going to inherit all of this land. That's the blessing. I'm speaking this over Itaewon tonight in the name of Jesus. You feel that you are restricted to this little space, but the Lord speaks to you tonight and says, I am the God of your father, Abraham. And I'm the God who gives land and property. That is the promise. And God says, you will possess it. You will possess it. You are not restricted to this small space. You transcended in the spirit. God has already taken you beyond it. Move your mind and heart into agreement with God tonight. In the name of Jesus Christ. I release the blessing of the Lord over you tonight. The blessing of heaven and the blessing of earth. The blessing of strength. The blessing of power. But most importantly, the blessing of steadfastness of mind. Because God could give you the most powerful anointing you could ever imagine. But if you're weak in your mind, you'd lose it within 24 hours. But God could give you a mustard seed of faith. But if you're strong in your mind, you will steward it until you can move mountains. I speak strength to your mind. And strength to your heart. And steadfastness immovability and I say you're strong and I release this blessing over you in Jesus mighty name amen come on give God a shout of praise